Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 3 today, it is a delight and privilege to bring to the show Carol Platt-Liebaut, who I used to uh, interview a lot and talk a lot with back when we were in Washington, D.C., but I think this is our first time together in Phoenix. Carol Platt-Liebaut is the president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. She is on the editorial board of townhall.com and the author a few years back of a really important book, which... You know, if we paid more attention to it then, we probably wouldn't have had the problems or we wouldn't have the problems we have now. But Prude, How the Sex-Obsessed Culture Damages Girls. Carol, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Well, it is wonderful to be with you, Seth. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I there's so much I want to talk to you about. There's so much um, you work on. But first, tell us a little bit about uh, your home think tank, the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. Tell us a little bit about what you guys do over there. Well, here we believe in free markets and trying to do everything we can to make sure there is smart, limited government, fairness for taxpayers, and an open road to opportunity for all the people, you know, that we can possibly work with. And that includes when it comes to education, when it comes to getting regulations off the backs of small businesses, lowering taxes so that people don't have to move to another state in order to have a chance to be able to retire in comfort and just to be able to prosper without the hobnailed boot of government on their necks. You know, Carol, I was thinking you've done a lot of work, research, obviously, for your book and other things um, on education and the way children are brought up and the atmosphere they're brought up in. Do you find your work on supporting free market theory and free market ideology, has it gotten more difficult because so many more young adults are so much more attracted to socialism than we ever thought they would be? Have you found that kind of problem in the work you do, or at least have you found that phenomena with younger adults in America in a way that we just it just never existed like this before? Not just socialism, but literally even as far as Marxism. Well, you know, what's so difficult is that there really is not a marketplace of ideas yeah. that these young people are exposed to. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's such a shame is we used to and they used to get to swim in such a, a, a healthier pond. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was interesting. I saw a clip of uh, the opening to Working Girl, uh-huh. uh, the, the movie from 1988. Yeah. And, you know, there was this wonderful shot of the Statue of Liberty yes. that opened the movie. And it was so different from all the sort of dystopian hellscapes that yeah. movies focus on today. Yeah. And there was just this uh, sort of unexamined pride in America that that sort of opened the movie, the sense that everything was possible. And I think in in some ways, the water has been turned up on the frogs so slowly that we really haven't realized from a young person's perspective, you know, 
really, they haven't had a chance to grow up in a culture that ever really was healthy. You know, that's an interesting point. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. You, I was trying to, I was, I was just thinking of that very same movie the other day. Kind of funny you brought it up because, uh, I think, I, well, the Carly Simon song, I think, is what, what had me looking at it, uh, Let the River Run or something like that. But yeah. I, I do remember that that she had that in her video. And there was this kind of entrepreneurial spirit about not only New York, but a lot of the movies of the day. What Hollywood kind of did, it seems to me, uh, was they turned um, the evil people we were used to, the, the the wrongdoers in the world that you know we were so used to from I don't know James Bond movies or action movies, they turned them into these in dramatic movies. They turned the bad people into the American businessman. The American businessman stood for evil in America. That's what Hollywood kind of did to shape that part of it. It seems to me. And yeah. and and I you you just you don't see the American businessman and the or woman or the entrepreneurial spirit really represented as heroic anymore and part of that American dream, right? I mean, I thought for a while maybe Woody would have reversed it when we saw what a lot of ordinary Americans and working class business people did on 9-11, particularly in the let's roll um, statement. But it, it just it didn't take. The businessman is the evil person in America. Always. And along with them is uh – is the priest or the minister? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember uh, when I would watch uh, uh, the uh, uh, special victims unit, yeah, a Law and Order, yeah. And there was it just you never even needed to bother watching the end whenever there was a religious person on there, like a faith leader, uh, it, as long as it was you know a, pro, a a Christian, because you always knew that was going to be the guy who was going to end up or you know being the pedophile or the killer or the yeah. deviant, whoever. It was going to be the guilty party. I had no idea and, we'd go here, but when you're talking to one of the most educated women in the world, you can go anywhere. So I'm glad we're here for a moment because let me stay on that stop. issue. No, well, you certainly are. <laughs> and let me, um, let, me just, let me just focus on that with you for a second. We had occasion the other day, you know, Joe Biden unveiled this new um, campaign ad that was kind of trying to replicate the Morning in America ad of Ronald Reagan's 1984. Maybe you saw a little bit about this, and it just failed miserably because it wasn't optimistic like Reagan's. It was, you know, all about doomsday scenarios. <laughs> you can't do Morning in America based on doomsday scenarios. Right. Right? But we were re-watching the Morning in America ad, Carol, and one-fourth of it, I timed it fully, one-fourth of it was the scene of a church and a family and a wedding with a priest. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at an old... I don't know. Did you ever spend? Did, did you ever spend time in California? There used to be a Crocker Bank. Yes. Crocker Bank. Their first commercial theme song, which later became the Carpenter song, "We Only Just Begun." It opens with a young couple getting married by a priest. You could not make commercials like that today. You couldn't do it. No, and it's interesting how the left has always taken advantage of the best instincts of the mm-hmm. American people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this this desire not to give offense, uh, this desire to be inclusive, this desire not to leave anyone out. And it's been turned against us in a way that really is, is terribly wrong. I'm trying and, to... Yeah, no, you're right. I, I, uh, I was trying to... Go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, and, and I, you, I was going to point out, you know, there's there's nothing wrong in in a country that was 
you know, founded on the basis of faith in, mm-hmm. in so many instances, uh, founded by people who did believe, you know, in showing a church. Mm-hmm. And yet today that would be deemed offensive. Yeah. The same way that, that any sort of uh, religion has, has been deemed offensive in schools, but it's been replaced with a religion that is every bit as much of a religion as what has been thrown out of the Church. It's just that it's a secular religion. But it, but it, it is it, attended by something called real bigotry against real religion, isn't it? Wouldn't you say that the, 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 the last form of respected bigotry, I think Novak or Newhouse once said the last form of respectable bigotry is anti-Christian? Absolutely. But, I mean, when you look at you know, this in, the, the tenets of, of belief in a certain kind of environmentalism. Yes. And then what is being done, you know, with this whole belief in, in sort of adopting this creed of belief in transgenderism yes. and not being able to have, you know, a difference of opinion about matters of sexuality mm-hmm. and all these different things. It is every bit as much of a creed as any religion is. And even less dissent is tolerated or brooked in any sort of way about those who would dissent from it. You say creed. I would say I would go even further and say theocracy in a sense. I mean, it's, it, right. it, it, ha, it has the feeling that it can brook no, uh, no dissent from, from it. It's an orthodoxy, and, and yes. it's, it's such an interesting thing. You could no sooner have an ad for a product in America today that opens with a church any more than you could a man and a woman being married by a priest. I mean, just a young man and a young woman being married by a priest. So when I was looking at that— distance between 1984 and the American culture, Morning in America, and Joe Biden's America and his ad, um, which is weirdly called the flag, because I guess we can be for the flag now because it's represented (laughs) by a Democrat. We can come back to that. But I was looking at those two things, church and marriage, Uh, the the trajectory since 1984 to today. Uh, I think we are at the lowest point of regular church attendance in the history of America, and we have lost something like marriage by about 33 percent since 1984. And you look at the country we're in today, you look at some of the social problems we have or some of the domestic issues we try to deal with, I can't help but think those two statistics need to be thought of as well. i got to take a quick break. Could you talk a little bit about that with me when we come right back, the trajectory of the culture? Delighted. Carol Platt Liebau is my guest. Delight to have her. She is uh, an editorial board member here at Salem with our townhall.com, the president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy, and the author of Prude How the Sex Obsessed Culture Damages Girls. We'll be right back. <laughs> oh, Carol Platt-Levow is my guest. She is, among other things, the president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. I, you do a lot in radio. You have a lot of assistance. I have a very, um, Carol, I, my producer plays games with me. I don't know where you have anyone. <laughs> I call him my contumacious and refractory producer. And uh, uh, <laughs> that's what he does to me. So, everyone needs one. Yeah, everyone needs one. Keeps us on our toes. I was thinking about the issues we're dealing with today, um, challenges our young people face, the kind of disorientation we seem to have about the most basic 
elements of nature uh, that men can give birth and boys and girls should be able to conceal from their parents and teachers should be able to empower the, uh, should be empowered to conceal from the parents the idea that a seven or eight year old wants to change the sex they were born to all this we should we should have effectively child pornography in our schools lest we be accused of book banning all this kind of weird stuff and i was thinking about those two cultural changes from 1984 the downgrading of marriage and church attendance it's 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 precipitously fallen and i can't help but think that that's at base part of this and i know we're not supposed to talk about this in polite society but i don't think if we don't talk about it we'll have a polite society anymore well, precisely. And, you know, it's so important to be frank about all of this. And, I mean, many people, I think, have recently talked about the epidemic of fatherlessness. Yeah, right. But, but you know, which comes, you know, is a direct result of, of the, the uh, you know, the decrease in marriage. Yeah. But I think this, this uh, epidemic of uh, the unchurched mm-hmm. is is another important part because what people don't realize, you know, this has been going on, of course, for a couple of generations now. But you can sort of glide on fumes for a couple of generations just because a sort of I don't know whether you want to call it a Christian ethic or an ethic of religiosity can go for a generation or two just because it has been ingrained in the culture. But after a generation or two, you know, where we people knew it because things had always been done this way, it begins to sort of winnow out a bit. Mm -hmm. And, And that's the problem. The cultural norms that had come along with people who were steeped in these traditions that are bred in the bone by a church-going and a religious people, well, they begin to to sort of fade away. And then you're left with a society that has really no other uh, guiding principles, and what are you left with? Nothing but might makes right. And that becomes a problem. And, you know, especially for those of us who tend to be conservatives, because as I talked a little bit about in, in my book, um, when you lose all the guardrails that strong religious and moral principles offer, then you have a citizenry that needs, you know, in, in order to keep people from hurting one another, what's left? All you can do is have a busy and uh, a busy and authoritarian state poking its nose in everywhere else, which is why uh, John Adams wrote the famous quote that, that many of us talk about even today, that is, this Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It's wholly unsuited for the governance of any other. You make a really interesting point about a generation maybe prior to us, that may not have been as familiar or as educated or as steeped in religious doctrine or religiosity, uh, or perhaps even um, the importance of marriage. But they kind of went along with it because the remnants of, of the generations prior, if I'm hearing you right, they kind of went along with it because the, rem- the, the generations prior— set up those guardrails. It was just the thing you did. It was the thing you... Precisely. The thing you could do. sort of run on fumes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, no, quite all right. I wanted to make sure I had your point right, because if I do, if you... if 
if I'm hearing you rightly, and I think I am, this is a fascinating point to me because I'm thinking about Abraham Lincoln's Lyceum Address that he gave when he was a young man, 28, in 1838. And he was talking about that with the study of the history of America. And he was lamenting that we could get by up until then because we were so close to the founding and the founders. But as those generations were dying off, he said, um, passion will no longer work for us because memories will fade. And what we need is a kind of adumbrating his concept of a new birth of freedom, a new birth of patriotism, a new political religion, not built on passion anymore, which he said did sustain us for a while, but reason. Reason is what we would need. That was his plea about you know patriotism in general and the understanding of American history. You're applying it now to the cultural and social norms, and I, I think it's a great insight, Carol. It, it sounds like the same point. Well, that's sort of how I intended it. You know, because none of this is self-sustaining, right? And um, and you, I mean, you know, as you as you know, as Ronald Reagan pointed out, you know, freedom, freedom of all kinds, um, and and that's in some sense uh, religion, just like polit- political freedom. You know, it's designed to give you a certain sort of freedom that is provided by certain wise constraints. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, too, gave voice several times over, I mean, in many, right. many speeches to the notion that it just doesn't happen. It doesn't get passed down in a bloodstream, right? It has to that's, be continually that's what, <laughs> Right? That's the, right. I've yeah. lost my point. Yes. How it's, it's never more than a generation yeah, right. or two away. Right. right. And, uh, and it's, it's important for all of us to, to you know, sustain it, that, that freedom is never a generation, never more than a generation or two away from experience. Exactly. And you think about a generation, give or take 30 years, which is about give or take since he left office and, you know, his final plea from the White House, from the Oval Office, his final plea was part and parcel of all of that which we're discussing. Uh, he, He talked about the need for a renewed patriotism. He said, we've done a pretty good job at it thus far, but not anymore. He said, you could pick it up. You could pick up patriotism at the movies. You could pick it up in the neighborhoods, but not so much anymore. And that was his plea to the children and parents of America to study American history. And you think about what's happened over the course of since he left office. It's almost about just that damn generation, isn't it, Carol? It is. And and he said, you know, it isn't necessarily in the bloodstream. Right. And that brings us right back to where we began. Yep. And I do think that's why there is so much difficulty with rising generations that, that don't understand why America is so precious and so special. Because there is nothing in, in the culture, there's nothing in the atmosphere that would ever help them understand that. And instead, to the contrary, they're surrounded by voices that are telling them that, you know, quite the opposite, that we are actually worse than most of the other countries. Yeah, that's is- right. That's right. There's there's the <laughs> distinction between nonfeasance and malfeasance, which actually you gave a pretty good comment, uh, pretty good. You gave a great commentary on which made that point when it came to our military. Um, can I, Let me take another break. Can I, Can we reprise that, reprise that commentary of yours from about a week ago or so when you were of talking? Course. Yeah, thank you, Carol. Carol Platt-Lebow is my guest. Uh, she is the president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy, and she and I will be right back.
Well, it's a delight to have Carol Platt-Liebau with us, uh, my colleague here at Salem at the Town Hall and uh, 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 Salem News and Public Affairs uh, Editorial Board and uh, president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. Uh, I'm just, Carol, I didn't tell you we were going to talk about any of this. I mean, it's just wonderful (laughs) where we're going here. We were talking just before the break. It's one thing for a culture and a society to teach nothing. Uh, I would call that maybe nonfeasance. And it's another to actively teach and instantiate uh, wrongdoing and, 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 and malfeasance. And you were picking up on that in one of your town hall commentaries about a week or so ago on that in places we thought, I mean, okay, maybe we could have guessed the schools needed protection. Maybe we could have guessed religion was open or at least churches and synagogues were open to liberation theology. But an institution like the military, we never would have guessed. And yet there it is. Right, Carol? Precisely. And, uh, you know, that that is the danger. Uh, and I think, um, you know, we've allowed so much to come in under the guise of tolerance mm-hmm. that we, we have ended up at a certain point, um, you know, um, people who will stand for nothing fall for anything. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and that's exactly where this has gone. Uh, and it's unfortunate because when you have, uh, when, when you've allowed your military to be turned into a laughing stock mm-hmm. and, and, you know, this whole, as you know, in the law, there's a concept of fit as suitability for in, its intended purpose. Yeah, like a redressability kind of issue. Yeah, right, <laughs> yes. right, right. But, <laughs> Taking you me know, back to equity class. Okay, fine. Right, exactly. <laughs> all right. But, you know, when we all, we all know what a military is supposed to be doing. Right. And, you know, when you have a military that's being run as though it's an exotic social experiment, Rather than you know do, doing things uh, that will make make it more likely to be able to recruit the kind of people that are going to make it an effective fighting force right. and suited and suitable to protect the people of the United States and um, and be a, a, an effective uh, exponent of American might around the world. In a word, Sean, you're failing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did this uh, a version of this story a couple weeks before your commentary, and I have uh, a fair amount, uh, a large amount of uh, blessed veterans in our audience. And we were talking about the recruitment story, which comes up every once in a while, low recruitment levels. There's it's really a two pronged problem. One is ineligibility. But the other is really more the kind of thing you're talking about where veterans' families used to be generational. And I was having veterans calling in saying they don't want their kids joining this military today. They don't want right. their kids. And, and that's new, too. Well, it is, it is new. And I understand Not that. Not because, because of the parents, but because of the military. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Um, and, you know, people who, you know, otherwise are, are wonderful patriots. Mm-hmm. But... They have a sense that the military doesn't appreciate the kind of young men and young women that, you know, they once would have been proud to share and uh, and and willing to risk to serve their country. Yeah, it's 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 an odd thing when you see recruitment videos based on LGBTQ principles 
and it's an odder thing yet when you see uh, entertainment taking place on military bases and uh, and 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 naval uh, naval destroyers that 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 have us thinking you know this drag queen story hour isn't just a problem in our public school libraries anymore it's a problem in our military as well when you think of the purpose you know i i just don't think it's too casual a point to make that they aren't doing this in china carol no and also when you see leadership that is clearly openly politically hostile um to the kind of really largely traditional young men and young women who were the type who would be most likely to be open to a Mm -hmm. career in the military right Exactly right. Exactly right. Let me do this. Can I take one more uh, break and have one more long segment with you? I want to talk a little bit about how we should think about the James Comer uh, press conference last week uh, from the House Oversight Committee about the Bidens, as well as the uh, Durham report that was uh, unveiled yesterday. Do you have time for one more segment with me, Carol? Absolutely. Love to do it with you. Carol Platt-Lebow is our guest. She is the president of the Yankee Institute for Public Policy. She is the author of Prude, How the Sex-Obsessed Culture Damages Girls. And uh, she is my colleague here at Salem. She and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Carol Platt-Lebow has uh, been generous uh, with her time and brain as our guest. I should spell her last name. People often ask me, when your name is Liebson, Carol, it's not self-evident <laughs> how to spell it. So Carol Platt-Lebow is L-I-E-B-A-U, L-I-E-B-A-U. My family spells our name wrong. She got the I and the E in the right order. We got it in the wrong <laughs> order. Same pronunciation. <laughs> I don't know. I know. That's what the German... A lot of ways to do it. Well, the German scholars tell me that uh, our family got it wrong, but that's okay. Carol, things were getting wrong. Um, boy, there's such big news. Uh, the scandals that we read about come and go like, you know, 85 mile per hour cars on, on the speedway, and we don't have a time to any time to digest them. Uh, part of it, I kind of think, is deliberate. It's almost as if we're meant to be in a crisis industrial complex or living in a frenzy. But it was only a week ago that James Comer and the Oversight Committee at the House dropped a huge report on, you know, something that the, the self-dealing in the Biden family. And then yesterday, the Durham report, which is far more scandalous than anything Nixon or Watergate would have involved, and I have a feeling by Friday, no one will be talking about the Durham report. We're already done with the Comer report. What are we to what What are we to think of this? Well, I think you know, Sean. As citizens, I don't think we can allow either of them to just ride quietly off into the sunset. Okay. And one of the things that's disturbed me the most is to see this growing trend of what essentially seem to be two different standards of justice, depending on. Uh, which way one's politics tend to lean. Um, and, uh, and you know, the, the Durham report, well, to start with the Durham report, um, you know, what was done is truly shocking. Yeah. For people who have spent the last couple years, um, since January the 6th, to be exact, uh, howling about their dedication to democracy, uh-huh. uh, you know, having obviously and systematically worked 
to undermine democracy in, you know, and I, again, I have no patience with any sort of political violence sure. ever. I deplore any violence that occurred on January the 6th. There is no excuse for it. Right. You know, end Agreed. of story. 100%. Right. Full stop. Uh, right. All of that being said, a riot that occurred, uh, uh, as, as awful as it was, on January the 6th, really bears no comparison to a years-long plot, clearly and obviously cooked up by a candidate for president and then systematically carried out by our intelligence agencies with what appears to have been the knowledge of the the sitting president at the time, President Obama, and the head of all the intelligence agencies. Let's let's hang a lantern on that for a moment. I think you're absolutely right. Think about it. The riot of January 6th. 800, 900 individuals who spoke for, you know, no organizations that we know of, whose names no one had ever heard of, um, who, you know, were not involved in any conservative movement or Republican Party, uh, you know, leadership levels, uh, leadership at all. Um, Okay, so we had 800 uh, of those people uh, in the course of six to eight hours running riot. But here we have here we have people from all the fancy places with security clearances and security and uh, yes, the entire intelligence and Department of Justice, national security and domestic security apparatus engaging. Yes, you're right on a on a fifth column operation with nary a whimper about uh, an existential threat to our democracy. The call came from within the House, as they might say. Precisely. And then uh, once the the operation failed to keep Donald Trump from being elected as president uh, in yet another assault on our democracy, they tried systematically to undo this, the, the express will of the people by crippling his presidency and getting him thrown out of office. There's another. And, yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. And. Uh, there is no way any of this is defensible. And so while there are little old ladies with cancer mm-hmm. who wandered around the yep. Capitol yep. and committed no violence whatsoever, rotting in prison. Yeah, they are now political prisoners. Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, they are rotting in prison. Uh, it seems to me that people with much more power who perpetrated much worse assaults on on our democracy with much more malice of forethought, uh, seem poised to escape scot-free. And I don't understand how this is a tenable situation for our country going forward. I don't understand how it's tenable either. It's not. I understand how we got here because it had a handmaiden's help, which is an institution we may want to spend time on in a subsequent interview, but it's the media. And, you know, you went to a very fancy law school that I know at a time they were still teaching the Pentagon Papers at. I mean, you couldn't go through con law without reading the Pentagon Papers case backwards and forward, which if it stood for one principle, it was that the government's power to censor the press was abolished so that the press would remain free to criticize the government. And the media has stopped that. They've become the handmaiden of the government. It, they have completely collapsed on their charge and gone in the other direction as well. Again, nonfeasance to 
misfeasance or yes, and and you know what does one do right. if it isn't the government censoring the media? It's the media leaping to censor right. itself That's in right. service to power. Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, I mean, you know, we talk all the time about what is to be done. We just stay at it. Uh, we keep at it. And uh, I always I like the old. 1960s civil rights notion of each one, reach one, teach one. And you, you never, you, you know, just we have we have to evangelize on these issues one on one and as best we can through these kinds of mediums. I'm so grateful to you, Carol, for, again, your time today, but your ongoing work on these issues over the years. Absolutely. And, and we never give up. We never give up. From Reagan to Churchill, right? <laughs> Absolutely, Sean, and it's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Thank you, Carol. Until next time, I'm Seth Leibson. Thank you, Carol. I'll be back with a closing thought. Folks, you think about all the other problems. Let's not forget the economy. How's it doing? Bank failures, stock market volatility. Inflation, recession possibly on the horizon. Why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's correlated to none of that. Not the stock market, not the Fed. It's an investment in a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate up to 10.25%. Why Refi is locally based here. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I have. I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Why Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. A due diligence approved firm, Why Refi is offering up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. I was thinking in that conversation with Carol, her point, going back to Lincoln's point about the Lyceum Address, we can't just get by on passion and habit anymore. Uh, We can't just get by on, well, that's the way it's always been, because we need to implant and continue to plant the reasons for what we do, uh, the reasons for why we do the things we do, the underlying reasons, because as George Orwell put it, we've reached such a state that we now believe the first task of the educated man is to restate the obvious. We've lost the reasons behind all of these things. Lincoln concluded this Lyceum speech of 1838 On this very point, he was talking about the founders and by 1838, how memories of them were fading. He said they were the pillars of the Temple of Liberty, and now now that they have crumbled away, the temple must fall unless we, their descendants, supply their places with other pillars hewn from the solid quarry of sober reason. Passion has helped us, but can do so no more. It will in future be our enemy. Reason, cold, calculating unimpassioned reason must furnish all the materials of our future support and defense. He then went on to say, let those materials be molded into the general intelligence and sound mortal, excuse me, into general intelligence and sound morality, and in particular, a reverence for the constitution and laws, and that we improved them all 
to the last. There's a reason the left doesn't want us studying history, folks. There's a reason they are on a campaign against, yes, obviously our intelligence, but also sound morality and a reverence and the importance of the Constitution and the people who made it. There's a reason. The reason they're against it is so is the same exact reason we should be so ardently in support of being in favor of it, because they know what we know, how important it is to maintaining this the last best hope of Earth. David, thank you. Bill, thank you. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you all. I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed.